Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and today we have part two of our episode, and I am so excited. I have a longtime friend, Christian Monopolis. Got it right, didn't I? Very close. <laughs> Super close. <laughs> it's a hard one. It is a hard Manilopoulos. one. <laughs> there you go. All right, y'all. Looking to enhance your breeding program? Spring into action with Embark for Breeders Dog DNA Kit. Did you know that Embark tests across 230,000 markers? That's twice as much as its leading competitor, making Embark the most accurate dog DNA test on the market. Embark has customized its probes for results such as 210 plus genetic health risks, 35 traits, and genetic diversity. Each genetic health condition is tested using at least three and up to eight separate probes. This redundancy gives an extremely high genotyping accuracy with over 99.99% accuracy for mutation tests specifically and 99% for most linkage-based tests. Find out why responsible breeders trust Embark to enhance their breeding program. Right now, you can save on the most comprehensive dog DNA kit. Just visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use code PUREDOGTALK to receive $20 off a full-priced Embark for Breeders dog DNA kit. That's EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders and use the code PUREDOGTALK dog talk just for you. I first met Christian in the nineties when he was working for Tim Brazier in Washington state. And I was just a tiny baby dog handler. And I am so excited for this conversation. So Christian, you know, I grew up, I cut my teeth watching Timmy and Mm -hmm. Tim at that point was not handling anything but poodles. And across the board, that's sort of a pretty common situation. Poodles are so labor intensive. You've got a one in each variety and a couple or three in each variety, and you've got a full day's work plus some. Yeah. Yeah. And so I love the scope that you bring to it, showing other breeds. You know, you have the Ozawak, you have the Russell, you have a variety of different things that you show. And so talk a little bit about that and the specific challenges that come with that type of clientele. Yeah. Well, that is from looking at it as a business point of view too, because early on, Rachel and I, for more than 10 years, only showed poodles. Right. And I say this all the time, an evolved mind is someone who self-examines and observes around them. And I can see the entries in poodles have declined over the years And it became tiresome to go to shows with five standard poodles and me being the entry. It was very labor intensive, finding help 
to work and assistants to do all of that is very difficult. Plus, I've always had to have kennel people at home. I have way too many dogs. I mean, I tell the story. We were very fortunate when the pandemic hit. Our Poodle National was a month away. I had seen standard poodles and coat in my kennel at that time. None of them could go home. So we had to board and groom 16 standard poodles for the entire time. There were no dog shows. I didn't have time to do anything else, no. but I'm very fortunate yes. that with my clientele that it didn't affect their economics. Right. And so we were able to keep ourselves employed. We were able to keep the people at work for us employed. And we were very fortunate. But Rachel and I could both see the decline in entries and the way things were going. And so I like a challenge. So the first one was probably with the Afghan matrix, Mm, you know, Missy had wanted to get an, you know, we'd had some winning dogs and she wanted one. It all came about my friend Lauder and Camilla in Sweden had this dog and I won't go into all the details of how it came about, but we got the dog and he went on to win, I think, 29 best in shows. He was quite successful. I remember it. Right, right. And did very well and was top Afghan a couple of years and I think like number three hound a couple of the years. And that was the start of it. But, you know, I had shown Afghans in Australia. Right. And I liked the challenge. When I lived in Seattle, I was very friendly with Chris Terrell. Right. And we would see Chris at shows. I would always talk to him. I like the iconic dog show breeds. I say Afghans and poodles and wire fox terriers. And I'm the <laughs> rare breed girl. Like I was the one right, that was right. showing well, all the weird stuff. <laughs> like you, the weird lady, come over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, obviously when you see a great one in a particular breed, I remember the Sobers lady had that Bracco Italiano I mean, like when you saw that Actually, dog. the patrons and I were just talking about that dog. There's a new video out that a friend of mine did, actually, that has Bracco's, that shows her roadworking them off an mm-hmm. ATV and then just trotting beside. It is mm-hmm. spectacular. And I had to go find that dog that won in 2009 and say, this is right. the first one I saw. And I was like, blah, blah, blah. right. Axel. Yeah. <laughs> Axel, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. We were just talking about that. Right. And so, yeah, I can appreciate all those things, but I like the challenge of the Afghan and being with Chris and Chris was, as I said, people are tremendously helpful. When I got the dog or I was planning to get the dog, I talked to Chris extensively throughout his career. I would call Chris. He was always wonderful. He always had great advice and I would tell him, you know, this is happening. He doesn't like this. And he would say, well, try this. Mm -hmm. Those little inside knowledge things were tremendously helpful. But I don't show golden retrievers or things like that that are time consuming because... Oh, Afghans aren't time consuming. (laughs) Well, but but I'm not going to be stuck in the golden retriever breed when there's 25 specials. Yeah, exactly. Most of the time you go to a show and then maybe there's six Afghan specials. So sadly true. Right. So I do the Azawak and it's like now I'm doing the Pekingese and, you know, <laughs> fortunately I was very friendly with David Fitzpatrick and we got a bunch of dogs from David and we're working on that. But David has just been fantastic on what to do, how to show them. Pekingese are exceptionally difficult to show. <laughs> They're way harder than they look. <laughs> you know, people make fun of them. There's this, this dust ball going mm-hmm. around the mm-hmm. ring. It's mm-hmm. way harder than that. And David has been tremendous advice, but I could see the writing on the wall with these declining right. entries. And I was like, 
people can have interests in other breeds and some of my clients have had those Mm -hmm. interests. So that's Mm -hmm. why I've pursued those things. I want to go back and touch just a little bit on those two people, David Fitzpatrick, who I've interviewed on the show, who's amazing. And Chris Terrell, who one of the last legitimately, totally owner handled best in show, like Pepsi was amazing when he won the guard. And Mm -hmm. so I look at those iconic breeders, iconic, really owner breeder, owner handlers Mm -hmm. that are the ones who you are looking to for advice. And I love that. And I love that they're giving it to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I said, I think really great people are very generous with their time, advice, you know, in the end, I mean, the thing we all struggle with is having time to do things. And so when people are generous with their time, you really have to soak that in. But the really great people are willing to do that. And as I said, Chris was tremendous. And David, you know, when we were campaigning dogs, David and I many times would be calling each other at 11 o'clock at night because we had two more hours to drive and we'd try to talk ourselves. Talk each other down the road, been there, done <laughs> yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, David's a really funny guy and, and has a, a great wonderful sense of hum- human, like a wonderful yeah. Yeah. human. Yeah, so we had some really funny conversations and great conversations. I mean, Chris's breeder, he was also a handler to some extent, and then David is a handler. I mean, I had this conversation just this past weekend at the dog show that, like with me as a poodle person, people think of handlers in one way and breeders as Mm -hmm. another way. Right. And they are two separate things, but they're very codependent upon one another. And they're frequently the same thing. Well, they're frequently the same thing. And with the decline of large kennels and large breeding programs, in many ways today, people don't realize many handlers are actually influencing the way that those breeds are being developed. I mean, that was something I learned from Tim when he did the Blue Skies breeding program of Patty Malthrop's and Eaton before that. And he said, it's not that difficult to breed good finishable class dogs but guiding patty in the way that she bred her dogs he was able to have a consistent good class dogs to finish that were not difficult that had good hair that a had good temperaments were easy keepers those kinds of things and i want to emphasize that those were the important parts of the breeding program you can breed for those things yeah people (laughs) right right oh absolutely i mean and then the same i did with zuleika you know Mm -hmm. you didn't find a demaya dog that had a bad coat it was Mm -hmm. something they all had good coats they generally all had good temperaments Mm -hmm. you know these are qualities that must be bred for and well health is equally as important as quality and many people forget that but they don't pay enough attention to that because of the lack of large breeders i mean in my breed we've seen a rapid decline in big breeding kennels there's still a lot of people that breed but when you breed one litter a year or one litter every two years it's really not enough and as dog show people we need to pay a little bit more attention to these kinds of things we do need people to breed litters of dogs it's just not enough dogs out there for the people that want them especially purebred dogs but we need to market ourselves correctly 
And we need to promote the breeds, the dogs in the correct way. I mean, we can't be elitists. There's so many things I say that dog show people, when you look at it as an outside observer and you examine it, you could see why that would be distasteful to the general public. Right. And we need to be aware of those things. When people come to dog shows and you're rude to people and you talk to them like they're idiots, they're not going to want to come back. We need to be encouraging to people about the dogs. We need to breed healthy dogs. And so a lot of the handlers, we emphasize that with people. People buy purebred dogs because they want dependability. It's like saying, you know, it's what Apple is. You buy an iPhone because it works. Toyota, (laughs) right, exactly. (laughs) Right, you buy a purebred dog because you want to get a poodle that looks like a poodle, acts like a poodle, has a temperament, and then is hopefully healthy. And so talking with David Fitzpatrick, he's been working very diligently on breeding healthy Pekingese, especially in the last few years. It's a focus that we must have. And when we breed dogs that have genetic flaws Mm -hmm. or mutations, you can't say, well, all the best ones have that genetic mutation or deformity. So we must just accept that because we don't want to breed ugly ones. Well, you can see how to an outside observer that that would sound bad. Right. (laughs) I think it's really interesting. I just had this conversation with Marty Greer. It was on yesterday's podcast talking about the things that commercial breeders are breeding for that show breeders aren't. And that Mm -hmm. there's some genetics there. Free whelpers, good lactation good with our puppies, all of those things that, you know, maybe it's time to think about maybe not being quite so yeah. very special. <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, I definitely agree with that. I mean, fortunately, I have to say poodles and Jack Russells that we breed mm-hmm. are pretty easy to get pregnant. The mothers are generally great mothers. We don't have those kinds of problems, but there's definitely things within the breed health-wise right. That we pay a lot of attention to. And I said this in an interview, the first poodles that I bred, I have none of that bloodline in my lines today because of health reasons. So you can't be afraid to start over. You have to eliminate dogs from your breeding programs and move on. That doesn't mean you need to eliminate all of them. You have to be diligent in what you do and examine correctly what I can work with, what I can't work with. But you definitely have to pay attention to those things. And if we're going to promote purebred dogs and breed litters, those are things we need to pay attention to. We need to promote a positive image of the sport. And it's the same thing we see people flying with their fake service dogs and they post videos on Facebook and people talk about how cute it is that you're committing a federal crime. I don't think that that's the right message we should send people. And you could see why that would come off the wrong way to Mm -hmm. the general public. We need to self-examine As I say, breeders get on people to breed a lot of litters, and that's wrong because generally we need to be breeding more litters than we we need more good purebred dogs, more dog breeders having more litters of good, sound, honest purebred dogs. Right. And I've been inspected by AKC because of the number of litters I had bred. And I know several of the inspectors, and generally the consensus is. The big breeders are generally not the problem. (laughs) The worst places they go to are often smaller breeders that only have one or two litters a year and the dogs are not in satisfactory conditions. Some of the commercial kennel facilities, I don't know if you listened to that episode I did ages back about the 
commercial breeders in Indiana. And some of those facilities are just amazing. Like I'd kill and die to have something fabulous. I mean, obviously we would prefer that our litters be born in a home kennel situation. You know, the litter's born in the kitchen and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is we have to look at how things are done in today's society. Mm -hmm. And there are those places that will fill that void because if we don't, then it's going to be the adopt, don't shop and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's still 9 million replacement pets a year wanted. Right. Whether we fill that need, some subpar breeder fills that need, or the accidental oops pit bull mix fills the need. Right. And so we need to fill that void, but we also need to improve our public image. Yes. And the way we conduct ourselves. And as I say, you know, just saying, well, the best ones in this breed have genetic flaws. So we must accept that because we don't want ugly ones. It's just not going to cut the mustard today. Yeah. We need to go back and re-examine those things. Right. I mean, I think that when we talk about all of the things that professional handlers do in the sport that people don't really think about, I think that's an important point to make is that, yeah, is that more often than not, our top professional handlers are also breeders. Yeah. I mean, the vast majority of us started showing our own. I mean, right. how do you become a professional handler? I started showing my dog. I mean, right. you know. Exactly. <laughs> I've interviewed everyone and they all say the same thing. I, or they started yeah. in obedience. You said obedience. I'm like, of course, everybody started in obedience. <laughs> yeah. I'm just really bad at it. <laughs> but <too>. yeah. <laughs> I started in 4-H and did obedience. And I had my little mutt dog that had to compete and graduate novice at the fair for three years running because he couldn't manage yeah yeah i mean fortunately rachel's very good at it but okay. I'm, I'm not so okay. she, she, she can work on that more than i do but yeah i mean we all start out as showing our own dogs breeding our own dogs and then developing as to handlers and to different degrees of success and different degrees of breeding i mean is very difficult to breed one breed well, let alone multiple breeds well. And some people are able to do that and have tremendous success. And I admire all of those people. But yeah, many handlers do guide those breeding programs and it gives them the ability to continue showing good class dogs and then also hopefully breeding good specials as well on top of that. I do think people don't realize how much professional handlers actually influence breeds positively we always get the negative part (laughs) right (laughs) we know this other side but the positive part i think is really important yeah hang tight guys got a little bit of information for you we'll be right back to the podcast in a minute pure dog talk is proudly sponsored by trupanion medical insurance for the life of your pet trupanion cares passionately about pets and makes sure their policy has what it takes to serve you and your furry companions In fact, they are the first pet insurance provider to cover certain health conditions associated with breeding animals through their specialized breeding rider. Their industry-leading coverage does not stop there. Trupanion's free breeder support program also allows you to send your litters home protected with an offer for a Trupanion policy. Learn more about all of the perks that Trupanion offers breeders by following the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. So talk to me, give me your definition. And this is always a favorite question for my guest. Your definition, what makes a great one? 
What is it about any of the dogs out there? Well, let me say specifically to poodles, you know, we always hear about what makes a poodle poodly. Poodly. I love poodly. In the vast majority of cases, it's in their head. You know, great dogs know or think they're great. It is just routinely within the dog. They have that charisma. I say that to people all the time. You can see two beautiful, tall, skinny women walking down the street but very often one is more attractive than the other, the way they carry themselves as they walk down the street, the way their demeanor is. And so that's just an attitude thing. One may be more attractive than the other, but the way they carry themselves makes that difference. So in poodles, you know, great one, it's always that they have beautiful breed type. I say they have to have good heads, but great heads are overrated. Oh, interesting. Yeah, when I think of probably the top 10 all-time winning standard poodles, seven or eight of them, you would say their heads were nice, but I wouldn't say they had absolutely stunning heads. They made up for it in other areas. They were great movers, great constructed, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A great head is going to help you with a breeder judge at a specialty show, but when you're showing at an all-breed show under all-rounders, a nice head is probably sufficient. You know, we always want better, but The way they carry themselves, poodles, the standard says the head is held high, the tail is high. People go on about, you know, well, poodles are sporting dogs and they should move like sporting dogs. That's incorrect. It's an ignorant observation. It's a, a unique characteristic of the breed, and we must reward the ones that have high head carriage. That doesn't mean they're eunuch, but they must have high head and tail carriage. It is a characteristic of the breed. It's like saying a Columbus Spaniel should move the same way as an Irish setter. Well, they're both sporting dogs, but no, they shouldn't. And so people get on poodles when they do have that high head carry. They're the eunuch. Well, most people don't even know what they're talking about. (laughs) Now, the number of people that describe eunuch, and I look at the door, I'm like, yeah, it's not eunuch. So talk to me. This is actually a really interesting, purely structural thing. When I watch poodles, There are poodles who are high-headed and high-tailed and carry that glorious poodly outline around the ring. And then there are the ones that are more extreme, where I see, like, they're literally running, looking at the ceiling. Like, their nose is pointed straight up in the air, Uh and their front legs are under that nose. So, help me. Well, that is incorrect, obviously, because... Thank you. Okay. Yeah. The front should be set well underneath it, which is described in the standard. <laughs> this is why I'm struggling. Christian. <laughs> yeah. Well, and obviously there are people that like the extremes and that they think that that is attractive or correct, but generally that is not the case. And as I say, people think that they know about iconic breeds of dogs, like standard poodles, Afghan hounds, Dobermans, The vast majority of people do not know what makes a great wire fox terrier from another one, yet everyone at the dog show has an opinion on the wire fox terriers. (laughs) I usually just ask Bill McFadden. I'm like, is that a good or a bad one? He says, Well, you're probably safe. You're probably safe there, but but yeah. And so you have to really learn about the dogs, read the standards, all those kinds of things, talk to people, and they'll give you a better idea. But I mean, no, Poodle should not be looking up at the ring, but it should have high head carriage. It should be carried high looking forward. They shouldn't have an extreme side gait. 
right. it is a light springy action when they have tremendous reach and drive that is incorrect for a poodle as attractive mm -hmm. as it might be in german shepherds that is not correct for poodles or bracco italiani right <laughs> right and so people need to read their breed standards and learn about quality for me when i look at dogs and i judge dogs it's all about the virtue. They all have faults. There's no great ones. And I tell people that all the time. I've seen some tremendous poodles, but they all have something you would have changed or improved sure. on or that kind of thing. Sure. And understanding what makes them great. Being devoid of faults does not make you great. Having a great virtue is what makes you great. The really great dogs generally the consensus opinion amongst people is that this is a great dog. Maybe you would change this, maybe you would change that. Mm -hmm. But the consensus is generally accepted that this is a great dog. There's always contrary people, but that great quality about them, the way they carry themselves, their showmanship is all part of it. And that is what makes the really great dogs. But the vast majority of it is in their heads. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely agree with that. Yeah. And so here's an interesting twist to this. All the great ones, it's in their heads. And sometimes they're not the best dog in the ring. Mm -hmm. We know this. Mm -hmm. They think they're the best dog in the ring, but they might not be the best right, dog in right, the right. ring. So what is our red line? What is our guiding line to keep us all from having generic show dogs that think they're just their poopies fall out their butt and gold nuggets? What's It's in their head, but then where's the stopping at generic? Yeah, they have to have great virtue. As Mrs. Clark would always say, when they come in the ring and they line up, are they the correct shape and outline for that breed? Then you decide from the virtue standing still. Then they go around the ring and then you pick the soundest ones of those. Having the correct shape, the outline, the good front, the good tail set, the way they carry themselves around the ring, if they lack those things, no amount of showmanship is going to make up for your short, stumpy legs. That's not going to help. I can think of a couple of toy poodles that were wonderful little dogs with little chihuahua faces, and it was hard to get past that. But they thought they were great, but ultimately that lack of virtue stopped them. So they have to have great breed type. You know, they have to look like an Afghan should look or look like a wire fox terrier should look that long head, but it's more about excelling in virtue rather than a lack of faults. <laughs> okay. So the lack of faults is where we get to the generic. And yeah. that I think yeah. is what we we're trying to nail down. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we have exceeded our time almost by twice, but I'm still going to ask you my favorite question. Sorry. Yeah, it can yeah, be two episodes. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I encourage it. So sorry. I'm still going to ask you my favorite question. It's everybody else's favorite question too. So I gave you time to think about it. Sometimes I just pop it on people. Yeah. Your dream best in show life. Any dog <laughs> ever saw it, didn't see it, dead or alive? Go. Well, it's hot. I mean, I loved Kelly's Fitzgerald Springer Spaniel, James. So starting James. sporting group. Uh -huh. Yeah, uh -huh. I would start with him. Well, I have to say Chris is Afghan Pepsi. Yes. <laughs> that tops my list a lot. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in the working group, I mean, I loved Phoebe the Doberman, but you would probably remember this dog. I loved the Akita dog, Jagger, Crown Royals Get Off My Cloud. Oh, interesting. I loved okay. that dog. I thought okay. he was just 
well, I wouldn't say it was one of the first really great dogs I saw, but it, very early on when I started in dogs. Yeah, he was he was dog. very hot when you were when yeah, you yeah. were out there. Yep. I loved him. I mean, in Terriers, my friend Murphy's Peggy Sue the Scotty. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then for toys. Well, I love David's Jeffrey. I thought he was well, and I love Futsabi, but I love Jeffrey. But yeah, you know what? Actually, Joe showed Doc Holiday the Chihuahua, and I love yes. Doc Holiday. And he was yeah. still alive when I went to go work for Joe and Pauline. Seriously? Yeah, I yeah. Didn't know and that. he, oh he was—I don't know—he was probably like ten or twelve years old, mm-hmm. and still a fantastic little show dog. And I adored Doc Holiday. Non-sporting. I mean, there's lots of poodles. Pick one of 28 million poodles. <laughs> yeah. Pick one. You have to pick one. Christian. I have to pick one. <laughs> well, I always say I loved Mike Gadsby's dog, Donnie. You know, he was not without fault, but I did love him the first time I saw him in Chicago as a class dog with Michael Korsrat. You knew he was in the open dog class and he didn't win, but you knew that was a great dog. Right. So there you go. There's one hurting. Oh, well, Mystique, the shepherd. I mean, I was fortunate enough to see her and I'm sure German shepherd people can tell me, but I don't know what you would have changed about her. It, yeah. <laughs> Pretty hard to fall. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So seven. now you have to pick one. Oh, well, <laughs> I guess I'd be putting up the shepherd. <laughs> You're going to put up the serious. All right. Look at you. That's an easy one. It won more than anybody else. So most people would have picked that one. Oh, man, no. Out of that, I'd have to. That lineup, I'm going with Pepsi. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's a good choice. They're all good choices. It's pretty safe. It's pretty safe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Well, Christian. Thank you so much. It is so great to talk to you. It was great to see you in Louisville. And I really appreciate you coming and hanging out with us for a while. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking me. I've enjoyed it. Excellent. Thank you. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you. To make sense out of everyday things. To add nuance to your understanding and tools to your attack box. To bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. So check it. June 1st is our patrons retreat workshop in the Chicago suburbs up northwest of Chicago in the Lake Villa area. The workshops are open to everyone and you can check out the handler clinic in order to Sort of polish your performance in the ring. Get a little finesse. You can also check out the fine print session with dog savvy lawyer Jen Emmonson about sort of nailing down your contract language and getting that right. Heads up, there might be a couple rooms left at the retreat if you want to hang with basically the coolest crew in dogs for a couple nights. Visit www.puredogtalk.com for details. Don't forget, while you're there zooming around on the website, go take a look at the Pure Dog Talk swag link. You know you can share the love with all that cool gear. Check it all out. www.puredogtalk.com Because your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. 
As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 